Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Amen and amen. So like I read for communion, it's really a continuation of where we have been, but he refers in 1 John chapter 3 to an Old Testament scripture, so we're going to jump to that to start things off. Genesis chapter 4, and uh, now that the kids are gone, we can start. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became <laughs> pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, something that... Um, I think that many times we just kind of look over, but we need to see how this is ingrained into the culture and understanding that right away she gives credit to God with the help of the Lord. These are often reminders for me that, wow, I, I am not praising the Lord in circumstances when blessings come. I don't know about you. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offerings, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, "'Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast?' If you do what is right, you will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You, say you, now say I, must rule over it. See, here, God is saying, hey, listen, this is something that you have to do. This is something that you have to take ownership of. And, and of course, we've all been in a, in a situation where we've wanted to, maybe you're running around the house and you want to close the door because a sibling's chasing you or a parent's chasing you. And so you try and slam the door and all of a sudden they get a foot in that door and you know you're toast. Why is that? Why is that? Because they got a foothold. And this is what God is saying to Cain. You have given sin, you have given Satan a foothold in your life. And right now you are at a time where if you do not get rid of it, it will rule you. If you're familiar with the story, the very next verse, but you must rule over it, God says. In verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they went to the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. In this, we have the very first murder in Scripture. Now, if you're visiting, or maybe it's been a while since you were last here, we started, um, if you want to call it a series, I'm, it's looked at as like the Johannian literature where it's the writings of, of the disciple, the one close to the beloved disciple of Jesus. So he wrote the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. 
And John is lumped in to Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, of the, and they're called the four Gospels, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels, which they're like the same. They're very similar in their stories, where John has some of the, the same, but there's a lot of different stories that are brought in in a whole different type of uh, theology and view. And part of this is because of, <coughs> excuse me, wow, that was interesting. That's a first. Um, the, his view was he was the only one that was an eyewitness out of those four. And so he had, uh, and this is something I call in, in this area, is that he, I believe that John had the most intimate writings that we see in, in all of Scripture. Now, David has intimate um, written psalms and, and, and writings to the Lord and for us today, and, and they're incredibly um, amazing. But John walked with Jesus. John was with him day in and day out, like a way that, that we could never understand. I mean, if you, if you think that when our Savior was on the cross and he looks down at, at John and he says, John, look at your mother. Mother, look at your son. And he assigns responsibility for John to take care of Mary, and he did. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, there, there was this close relationship. And so when we're reading the scripture, there is, there is um, a perspective that we need to understand. And so by this time, by the time that 1 John is being written, he is in his later years of life, okay? Now, John likely had no idea, not even an inkling, that he would be writing the future Bible, Okay, He was writing a letter to the local church. He was writing to the church as one with authority. One, the only survivor at this point that was one of the closest of Jesus. And he knows the heart of God, knows the heart of Jesus, which reflects the heart of God, right? The Father. And he knows it better than any living person on the planet. And so when we're reading this together, we need to understand the viewpoint in which we're reading. Sometimes we read and go, well, that's really harsh. Well, John knows something. He walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. We should really take into consideration what is happening and what he is, is telling us right now. And so John was put onto the island of Patmos. We know that he did some relatively, is that a word? <laughs> Writing and revelation and some really um, wild things that he saw. And he, we see that in, in Revelation. And then after Domitian died, he was then allowed to go back to Ephesus where he grew older, wrote more, and he passed away. So when we say, think through the eyes of John, I want you to think we are reading an intimate letter to the church. So in John's mind, he is helping the local church with some issues. We've been talking about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But there were two main threads happening. One, people went away believing that Jesus was not actually the Messiah. And two, God couldn't die, so there, he must have figured out a better way of doing it. So he, could he have really died? And so now there were, were these things happening in the church, and John is trying to diffuse this. John's trying to diffuse people who've left the church and buying into some really funny theology. So in John chapter 3, there's a lot of good and bad type comparisons that he makes. And 
all, as I prepared for this, even a couple weeks ago, all I was thinking was Star Wars. Okay, you got the Jedis and you got the Siths and you've got the Emperor and you've got the, you know, as a kid, as a kid, I pictured the good and bad. The good and bad is ingrained in us, that there, there is evil in the world, that somehow there is something so dark and sinister, and then we understand that there is good, that there is light. And so John is, is using this, and he said there's love and there's hate, there's good and there's bad, there's light and there's darkness, there's life and there's death, there's righteousness, there's sin, and then what we just read, there's Abel, righteous, and there's Cain the constant comparisons that we see in this scripture. And so John wants Christians, so this is you, this is me, to realize that uh, right now what we're supposed to do, and we see this again in repetition, that we, number one, that we continue to believe in Christ. We continue to put our hope and our faith in Christ. This is repeated over and over and over again in 1 John. Secondly, to follow the commandment of love. Okay, follow the commandment of love. This is why John is called the apostle of love because, I mean, it's just oozing out of his writing. So let's go. First John chapter 3. I'm going to repeat um, a little bit what we, we did right away. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love that, that this is what we are. This is take ownership of this. The reason the world does not know you is that it did not know him. Dear friends, okay, this is again a very intimate greeting. This is people that he knows. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Again, ownership of who we are and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. In other words, the best is yet to come. We shall be like him. So verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, again, very intimate um, to people he knows. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Again, this is him trying to correct what's happening to the church. Do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So in other words, we have, either we're serving our Father in heaven, or our Father who has been sinning since the beginning. The Bible says that, that Satan's actual language is lies. It says that his beginning language is lies because that's all he knows. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, if you know your Bibles well, you might think like I do, and it's Romans chapter 7 where Paul gives, as a teenager when I read this, and if you want to do it, it's almost like a tongue twister, but it actually was the most life-giving scripture that I read as a young person. Because I felt the weight of never being enough, and I thought I felt the weight of, of sin and, and struggling. And all of a sudden, 
I don't know if Paul was at a weak point in his life or, or what was happening, but all of a sudden in Romans chapter 7, Paul pours out his heart and says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. There is sin reigning in me, and, and I am drawn to it. I, I, just, I don't want to do it, but I do it. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? Right there, Paul describes the condition of man. And that's what gives me hope as I read things like this. The reason the Son appeared, the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or their sister. Verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Again, the language, good and bad, right and wrong, cannot be missed in John's writings. John was, wants there to be absolutely no mistake for us that Jesus brings change to our lives and we are to be separate okay we are supposed to be different and this is called our testimony what is our testimony our testimony is who we were before christ and who we are after christ and as Christians, as believers, we are all to have this story. This isn't something that you need to spend a lifetime trying to figure out what your testimony is. This is something of saying, I was this, and now, after I've been following Christ and learning his ways, I have been learning to walk in the light. I've been following him and pursuing who Christ is. I am changing Sometimes you don't even recognize you're changing, but the people around you do. I, I've had parents say to me, and even, even here, we are seeing some amazing changes. And I'll talk to that person that these changes, and, and they don't recognize it themselves, but the people around them do. And this is exactly how it works, that the Lord begins to move and do a work in us, and all of a sudden your employees or your coworkers or your family or your neighborhood start to see a difference because you have a testimony of who you once were and who you are and who you are becoming. John Calvin wrote, for since the only cause of our salvation is adoption, and since the apostle testifies that this flows from the mere love of God alone, there is nothing left to our worthiness or to the merits of works. For why are we sons? Even because God began to love us freely when we deserved hatred rather than love, and as the Spirit is pledged of our adoption, it hence follows that if there be any good in us, it ought not to be set up in opposition to the grace 
of God, but on the contrary, ascribed to him. In other words, our adoption into the family of God is not a testament of our own worthiness, but a testament of his. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to do the same for our brothers and our sisters. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and truth. Now, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says virtually the same thing. And he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or in daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does not do anything for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. The disciple John, disciple John and Jesus' half-brother are in total agreement that as Christians, once you follow Christ, love needs to have some kind of action aligned with it. Just giving it lip service does not equal love, that there actually needs to be some kind of action. Your right behavior does not earn your salvation. Instead, it is a natural consequence to being close to Jesus. That means that the closer you get to Jesus, the more that we pursue Jesus together, that there is going to be natural action in things that you do for others. This is something that I absolutely love about our church. The generosity to serve, the desire to help those in need. Last week, because of um, those of you who give to benevolence here at our church, we got to help a, a local mother who lives in Maple Grove that was going to lose her apartment, and we were able to come alongside. Um, we had staff here that prayed with her. You've given gas cards and grocery cards. Some of you have done things that nobody else here knows about to help others. Many of you are generous in one of the five areas of generosity, emotional and relational support, hospitality, gifts, service and volunteering, and also monetary ways of giving. The Bible is not saying that your generosity saves you. But you give because God first gave to us. Will you continue to be generous with your time and with your resources? Will you continue to give knowing that what you have is actually a gift from God? Remember what Eve said in the very beginning, with the help of the Lord. And so in the same way, we say, with the help of the Lord, I'm going to continue to serve him 
not only personally and individually, but corporately to help out the church family. I said this during communion, but here at Life Assembly Church, your relationship with Jesus means everything to us. Christ's death on the cross was atonement for your sins, and it was the ultimate preparation for adoption into sons and daughters of Christ. I truly believe that, yes, as we look forward and what we read here in 1 John 3, the best is yet to come. And I, I have had trouble through the years of understanding Christians and, and people that, um, you know, that I grew up, <clears throat> and, and it's almost like they didn't believe it because they tried so hard to hold on to this world and the things that it, it could potentially give us while they still profess their faith. And, I, and in my head, I'm thinking, do we really believe the best is yet to come. Why are we trying so hard to hang on to the things that we can't take into the next? I, listen, this, this is a hard thing to grasp, okay? It is. It's really a hard thing to, to grasp and to, and to get in, into our hearts. At least it is for me. So I get it. But really, we have a future hope in Christ. We do. We have a future hope in Christ. And as we near the Lord, and some, we, we don't know what, what holds tomorrow, right? We don't know. But I certainly have faith in Christ in knowing that he holds me and knowing that my hope is in him. And there is a future hope for each one of us. <clears throat> and that's why the best is yet to come. And I'm going to repeat what it said. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. All who have hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Our lives will have trouble. But our eyes go far beyond our present circumstances. And this is the hope that is within us. And this is the hope that we have to share with others. And that's why I believe the best is yet to come for our church and our church family as well. Our church went through a period of difficulty a number of years ago, but because of God's goodness, because of many of your prayers, because the people who remained were generous in emotional and relational support, in hospitality, in gifts, in service, in volunteering, and in monetary means, this church is here today. God is faithful. And because of that, and because of the faithfulness of the people in this church, because the people that are coming, because of all the new babies that are being born, because of what we're seeing here, I truly believe the best is yet to come. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that we as a church thrive because we're, we get to just circle the horses and be happy together. This means that God has plans and purposes for each one of you in ministry. This means that there are people coming into our church 
that need Jesus. That means that there are people in our community that have needs. This means that there are people that God has ministry set for you and for I to do here, to do in our neighborhoods, to do where we work. The best is yet to come is because there's a lot left to happen. And I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into praying with us. I want to invite you into to coming and saying, Lord, I, I don't know what the future holds, but here I am. I am, I am a vessel I have given my life to you, so that should mean something. So use me. I might not be able to do everything, but I can do something. Are you excited about that? <laughs> you can do better than that. Are you excited about that? Thank you. Thank you. That was a really good Lutheran Minnesota response there. <laughs> Would you please stand with me? <clears throat> my, uh, my heart is still full from communion this morning. As I had been preparing that, I, I told Jane, I, I said, I'm crying just writing for communion. I said, it's going to be really good. I think it's better than my sermon. That's what I... But, you know, what 1 John 3 does is it gives me hope for our future. Our eyes are to look forward because of what is to come. Our eyes are looking for and looking at Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls, and we are supposed to be different than this world. And, you know, last week we called it pop quiz and we looked at um, what, what he said to evaluate yourself. Are we in the faith? And so if we need to do that, let's do it. Are we in the faith? And because if, if we're not any different than any of our friends or coworkers around us, we better ask ourselves and, and reevaluate and then say, okay, Lord, what is it you have for me to do? I, I love talking to uh, my grandma. She's my last living grandparent. And um, I get to see her this next week. I'm really excited. I'm going up to there for just a couple days to visit. And she said to me, I think it was about two weeks ago on the phone, she said, well, I'm still here. <laughs> I said, yes, grandma, you are. And she goes, the Lord must have something for me to do yet. And you know what? If you can take on what Grandma Ruth is saying for yourself, you're going to be doing okay. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you for the fact that we have hope. And we live in a world that, that doesn't have the hope of a future. So much of our friends and families, their hope of the future is nothingness. And Lord, we know that not to be true. Lord, I pray that you open up doors with people that we're close with, Lord, that you begin to give us a way to be able to speak directly to their hearts, Lord Jesus, and share the hope that is within us, who is you.
You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.